Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to In Transition, the podcast that explores the practice of content marketing in government. My name's David Pembroke, and I am delighted that you have given me again some of your valuable time as we explore the practice of content marketing in government. As I do each week, I like to start with a definition of just exactly what it is that we are talking about. Content marketing is a strategic and measurable business process that relies on the curation, creation, and distribution of valuable, relevant, and consistent content to engage and inform a clearly defined audience with the objective of driving a desired citizen or stakeholder action. This week, our guest is Jerry Watkins. Jerry is the director of the News and Media Research Centre at the University of Canberra. He has over 20 years of high-profile international experience in communication design and strategy and has led major projects for some of the world's biggest telecoms companies, including AT&T Wireless, Deutsche Telekom, Telecom Italia and the Vodafone Group. Jerry's research expertise is in mobile, social, and online content devices and their impact on people and systems. He has designed and delivered digital literacy and content creation programs in Australia, India, Indonesia, Nepal, and the Solomon Islands. Jerry, thanks for joining me in Transition. Always a pleasure. Thanks, David. Jerry, you have been the lead author of a report recently re- uh, released just in June, the Digital News Report, which is part of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism from the University of Oxford, from their big global review and study of media practice. What are the big takeouts from what's happened here in Australia? Well, quite a few of them. It's the first ever report that's been done specifically for Australia. There's 12 countries that have been surveyed. Um, as part of the overall global review. But Mm -hmm. it's the first time we've looked specifically at Australia. And Australia is quite distinctive in many different ways. But for me, I think the the key takeout for Australia, which has got relevance, I think, to many, many other countries, is that we're generally at a tipping point now in Australia where people consume their news and receive their news basically equally between television and social media. And so particularly in news, as you yourself would know very, very well, TV in many countries is seen as the most authoritative, the most watched, the most important source of news. However, we now know that in Australia, they're almost neck and neck. And I would anticipate next year when we run the survey again, we'll see that social networks, um, social media platforms will be the main source of news for most Australians. And that really changes the whole news consumption um, landscape and it changes the way that news organisations must think about how they deliver news and produce news. How quick is that change coming? Um, I think by next year we'll see online uh, online and social media will overtake TV as the main source. In Substantially? Uh, no, it's kind of like it's about there's one or two points difference between at the moment. It's almost even Stevens. But I think within five years one would see a substantial difference even less than five years. As we know, Facebook, for example, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, in the interview, Facebook is becoming the de facto source of news. 
And I think within a few years, as they start to do more and more deals with news organizations directly to get their news content from them and put them straight up onto Facebook, I think we'll see very rapid change start to accelerate, like I say, in around five years. So in terms of the the practice of government communicators, because really this podcast is really about trying to improve the ability of governments to be able to communicate effectively with citizens. What are some of the insights that you would take out of the report, not only here in Australia, but globally about how governments should be looking at the way that they are communicating? Look, the report tells us, it tells us a lot of things about what government could and probably should be doing for the Australian context. The uh, the stat that probably no government communicator in Australia wants to know is that Australians are officially, out of all 12 countries surveyed, the least interested in political news of all countries, um, which may or may not come as a surprise to some people, but uh, I, I think actually that's quite significant. And I think um, government communicators, public sector communicators and politicians should really be thinking in Australia, and it's quite low in a number of other countries actually, should be really thinking, oh, hold on, what's... <laughs> <laughs> no one's paying attention. Yeah, exactly. That's, so that's bad news. But, but is that political news, which I would differentiate from the day-to-day news of, of a government around programs, around services, is, did you differentiate between those it's two? It's difficult because uh, it's a very good question. Um, it's going to be different for different respondents. This survey was an online survey of just over 2,000 Australians. Um, definitions of news are quite difficult, and I think political news is often interpreted to be about politicians and their goings-on. So you're quite right. It's not quite the same as government communication. However, in many, many countries, the two things do be are perceived to go hand-in-hand. Hand. Mm. So if you've got that lower interest level in news about politicians. It, it just, I think it, it hinders government communication in many ways. However, it does also clearly highlight many, many opportunities. Um, I'll just add also that Australians were surprisingly on some other uh, stats around news as well. Australians weren't that interested in sports news, which I found yeah. terribly surprising. Um, and we know looking at the uh, global study, the... The ultimate players, it seems to be, or should I say the ultimate consumers in all things online and social news-wise, are urban Brazilians who seem to love everything to do with online and social news. Wow. Yes, indeed. Was that a surprise to you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, It is quite interesting to see, uh, it's quite interesting to look at the international contrast, actually. Australia is quite a high player, and I think one of the if we put aside the uh, bad news about political news consumption, um, Australians cite the highest rate of news consumption via smartphone Mm. in all 12 countries surveyed. And I think that is the key opportunity for government communicators. Mm. This is smartphone communication, not tablet, not desktop, smartphone. Uh, And that is a big story. 59% of Australians say they're getting their news via smartphone. So when you define mobile, that was very much not just untethered. It was quite specifically talking about the mobile phone. Uh, Yeah, so we gave options on tablet, smartphone, including feature phone, and um, desktop, laptop were the main categories. Okay, well, if you were sitting there trying to organise yourself around developing a communication plan, uh, a content marketing strategy to tell your particular story. And again, not just for Australia, but probably looking across all of the surveys, across all of the um, uh, the countries involved. What are some of the things that 
must be there that have to be incorporated in order for you to be effective? Uh, you start with Facebook. That's full stop, no argument. Um, Facebook is in Australia and most of the countries surveyed, I think possibly all of the countries surveyed, the number one social network for receiving news stories. Um, you follow up with YouTube, which in Australia and many other countries is the number two network for receiving news and consuming news, sharing news stories, discussing news. You don't bother with Twitter. Twitter is a network that, uh, particularly in Australia, is beloved by journalists, beloved by news producers and much talked about, but consumers do not use Twitter for discussing, sharing, receiving news. So effectively, uh, the stats very strongly show it's Facebook far and away is the platform you need to deal with in your strategy and your strategy should basically be based around Facebook and YouTube. Particularly, one of the stats we find is that um, news over a visual medium is still perceived as one of the most authoritative news sources. So uh, YouTube... Still a very, very important player, although in percentage terms at Facebook is by far and away the, the, the source of news online via social. But certainly the big news of recent times really is um, Facebook's emergence as a key player in the video space as well. You know, they're really coming after that YouTube market, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think they'll keep eating into it. But I think YouTube has still, I mean, it's still, it's established and it's still got the ability to quickly and easily browse channels effectively or browse content, whereas Facebook, having so many other different contents on the platform, is slightly slightly less conducive to video browsing, but I think that's changing very quickly. Mm. Um, one of the things some people fear, and I think this is important for government communicators, um, some people fear, some people welcome, is this idea of what's sometimes called the opinion bubble or the information bubble, and that's receiving your news and content via social networks almost exclusively. So the naysayers say this is a very bad thing. If most of the news that I'm receiving is, say, via Facebook, it's through my friend circle, it's really limiting my outlook on the world. Um, it also makes that uh, media ecosphere quite difficult to penetrate for outsiders like a government communicator. This is a bad thing and we should avoid it. Um, it is well, you can't do anything about it. Though. Well, <laughs> it's sort of like that's a very nice theoretical point, but you've got to actually get into the game if you're going to be able to communicate your story. Aren't yeah, you? absolutely. And I think the people who are positive about it say this is absolutely fantastic. It it does open the door for someone with a well honed strategy and the now to uh, operate it to penetrate these opinion bubbles in Facebook. And in fact. If we're receiving news through our circle of friends, recommendations, shares, likes, actually that's a far wider source than you know, the old yeah. days for you and me where yeah. we might read one or two newspapers and yeah. maybe one radio program, mm. which in fact is probably more closed and more of an information bubble. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a big debate at the moment. I agree with you. I think, you know, the horse has bolted. <laughs> and, um, and actually I, I, I don't believe in the opinion bubble. I think you probably get more varied news through your friend circle. I think the issue for government communicators is the quality of the information you're getting. How do you differentiate between different news brands? And I know, like, for example, Australia's public broadcaster, ABC, is rightly starting to think about this very carefully. If you're not getting their content through a television set with a great big ABC logo at the beginning and the end of the program, how do you actually know it's the ABCs and, that's, and their quality of content? BBC in the UK, for example, really bucked the trend there. Uh, 
over 51% brand recognition as the most authoritative um, source of news in the UK, much more than other countries. And they've done it through their superb app, complete domination of the online space, and they've worked very, very hard to ensure that um, they're in there, you know, they're in and they're feeding their information and content across platforms. They're doing it very well. The ABC is doing it well in Australia. And I think this is just a demonstration that if if you're really one of those people who still haven't grasped multi-platform, hello, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're probably not listening to this podcast if you're one of those people. So, uh, in terms of the, you know, the, uh, you know, the publishers, we'll, we'll focus on them just for a moment. Not so much because they're probably listening, but I'm fascinated in just the future of publishing and this notion of being able to just distribute your content or get into a relationships with Facebook where Facebook is publishing your native content. Uh, what do you think about those relationships where organisations are using Facebook as, a, as their you know, perhaps primary platform to distribute their content, not so much putting the effort into their own platforms because there's that massive allure of this huge global audience that they can po- possibly get their hands on if they can you know, do the deal with with Facebook and go direct. Yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's a big question. I think you need to think about it very carefully. I would say, um, if I was a state funded content producer, um, and I start to use Facebook as my main means of content distribution, and that takes off, someone somewhere is eventually going to say, "Well, hold on." Why are we funding you for all these things if effectively it's Facebook, which is your distribution channel? Actually, you're a production company. You're not a state-funded broadcaster. Mm. And I think that could happen quite quickly Mm. if you look at uptake rates. So if I was a state-funded broadcaster, I would be very careful. Now, if I was a public service broadcaster but not necessarily state-funded, say like Channel 4 in the UK, which is... um, advertising revenue driven, um, but still have a public service ethos. You could go down that route. But then again, I think my fear would be you lose your brand recognition. Mm. And the consumer starts to think, oh, what's happening in the world today? I'll look at Facebook. Yes. And they don't really think, oh, well, this is a Channel 4 or an ABC or a BBC piece of content on Facebook. So it must be good. Because I don't think they're looking that deep. I think on YouTube it's easy to make your brand more visible, but that's a different issue. Uh, if I was some kind of private organisation, um, yes, quite possibly. Hmm. If I'm not too worried about my brand and I'm more worried about revenue generation through content production. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't see News Corp or News International having any interest in this in the long term. Um, because, again, you've got two big brands going up against each other in the short-term future. Is my news coming from News International or is it coming from Facebook? I think people say my news is from Facebook. That's the reputable news brand. Yep. And I think we're only a few years away from that. So in that, so let's go back to the, the government communicator who's now taking your advice and, okay, Facebook, all in. I've got to have a Facebook strategy because of its dominance. Now, there are some limitations around that because of the way that the the Facebook algorithm works in terms of distribution, in in terms of being able to get my message uh, out uh, because of the limitations. It's now a pay-to-play platform Mm. if Mm. I want to get to that audience. Mm. Uh, But on on the upside of Facebook is this marvellous targeting 
that you can do. You can get very granular and very specific about the audiences that you're looking to get to. So how would you advise people about, you know, there's there's the pluses, there's the minuses. How would you go about people starting to put together a, a program, a communication program to take up this opportunity of distributing your message through Facebook? Um, well, uh, let me put a little caveat on that. I, there's plenty of people who would say traditional platforms are dead. Yeah. Uh, maybe they've got an argument. I don't agree with them. Um, I think By traditional platforms, you mean what? Uh, broadcast television, cable oh. television, newspaper. Sure. Printed newspaper. Um, I don't think that's the case. I mean, uh, if we go back to Australia as an example, um, we see that, as I said, social and online media are level pegging with traditional platforms in terms of popularity of news consumption. Yeah, they're toast though. I can't, <laughs> they, they are. They, well, look at what's happened with Netflix in Australia. Between, yeah, okay. between well, April and June, you're talking a doubling in the numbers of people who are choosing to subscribe to Netflix because they don't want the ads. They want to watch what they want to watch and they want to watch it at the time they're going to watch it. I Free-to-air television is in all sorts of trouble and I really can't see a future, a long-term future for free-to-air television. The only thing that really is holding them together at the moment is is uh, sport. Mm-hmm. But how long before someone like the Australian Football League comes in and says, well, hang on, we can actually do this ourselves. We don't need to use your your platform. We'll do it ourselves. So well, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that's – I think they're you know, longer term. I'm not saying today and I'm not saying probably next year or the year after, but I think the, the, the pace of change is such that well, why would I watch it? What, what, what's the differentiation? What, what's the compelling reason? Well, look, that's fair enough. However, I mean, and our colleagues at Oxford University have done some research on this this year um, – the unavoidable advertising that's now spreading across YouTube videos very widely, mm. plus you know the heavier and heavier advertising on Facebook, sponsored messages, etc., mm. is having a similar effect. Yeah, it is turning people off, uh, and we would expect to see those things generating ad revenue via online and social media. It's starting to get trickier. You know, it's always been an issue for some people. Uh, it is starting to get trickier, and I would think the more and more intrusive advertising, which is happening, is bound to happening, will cause the same problems on particularly YouTube as it is on on free-to-air television. So coming back to your question, what's my first piece of advice? Yes, absolutely, your strategy starts off with Facebook, but it's got to be multi-platform. And I think from the Digital News Report Australia, what it really tells us that people are consuming news and news content across multiple platforms. So put Facebook first, but it's not the only one. You do still need to, in my opinion, um, and we can uh, beg to differ on it, you still do need to consider your cable television. You still do need to consider your terrestrial television. Newspaper, print newspapers are very, very interesting. Um, Not doing well. We know that. No, but their online audiences are pretty strong. Yes, well, so this is the interesting thing. So you've got the print medium itself significantly challenged. It's toast. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, However, in Australia, and we'll look at the data again next year so we can compare it, uh, what people uh, expressed, uh, survey responses expressed as their most trusted news source was print newspapers. Um, Slightly bizarre. Um, So Surely that wasn't the response for millennials. Uh, no, no, that's right. That's an average response across most yeah. groups. But it was certainly quite a lot of the millennials. Okay. Um, but is that is that the, the brand 
or is that the actual printed material? Because is that, for example, in Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald is the is the big newspaper in in Sydney, and am I saying that I trust the Sydney Morning Herald and I consume it online? Or am I saying that I trust what's printed on the page? I think there's definitely a crossover there. And, of course, mm. the way that they're bundling the subscriptions, you often yeah, end up with both course. and we yeah. can't quite tell. So I think you're probably quite right. Um, while we're on that issue of brands, though, if I take uh, go back to your you know, best piece of advice, you know, stick with the Facebook as number one. Do consider your traditional platforms. But this brand issue I find quite interesting. And we found in Australia, even though the newspaper sector is significantly challenged as it is around the world, uh, some of those pesky foreign entrants um, yeah. to the newspaper space, yeah. Guardian Online or Guardian Australia, The Mail, both UK brands, great established UK brands, and you would kind of think they must feel there's something worthwhile coming to Australia for, and they've done very well. Their brand recognition in the couple of years they've been operating, yes. if that shot through the roof. Yeah. So another piece of advice is, yeah, consider the traditional media, not necessarily Australian traditional media. No. Well, look at, yeah, but Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, you know. Huffington Post is remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable. And I wasn't quite sure whether there'd be a market for an Australian. I think it'll be a limited niche market, but it'll be a very important niche. Hmm. And the brand recognition is is kicking off, you know, already. But I think that probably comes down to the fact that, you know, the infrastructure here, particularly in the large cities, is pretty good. The uptake of digital devices is pretty good. And people are now selecting the content that they want to consume. So it's not just I I don't have a small choice anymore. I have a very, very, very large choice. So it really gets back to yeah, absolutely. You know, that, yeah. that self-selection around, well, what's the content I'm going to look at? So getting back to the challenge of people with a, a government communication story to tell, I often have people in government communication say, oh, the public don't want to hear from us. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to engage with us, which I – couldn't disagree with more. I think the government. I think people do want to engage with government communications. They just don't want to communicate, engage with it the way it's done at the moment. So I think if you create useful, relevant, and compelling content consistently, which helps people in their lives, which might give them access to a service or a program or something that's going to help them. So that distribution around Facebook is obviously um, one piece of advice. Multi. Um, Multi-channel mm. is, is is another piece mm. of, of advice. But what types of content should I be looking at creating? You know, the videos, the audios, the graphics. What was what did the survey find in terms of the the preference of the type of content that they're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I completely agree with you. I think there is definitely a market for government communication, um, and I think you know the barriers you identify is it's just not done in an audience specific way. Mm. Um, and my speculation on that, if we chat about this again next year after the 2016 report, I'll be able to back it up further. Regional newspapers in Australia are still doing quite well. So yep. obviously the Australian newspaper market, arguably more similar to the US market than the UK market. Um, and I think one of the reasons that the regional newspaper market, print newspaper market is doing well, is that that's a place where people can receive and consume and interact with government communication that's relevant to them. Mm-hmm. Um Regional TV held up oh, pretty, yeah. pre- pretty strongly as well in yeah, your report. Yeah, I mean, uh, not bad, not bad. Um, but, yeah, so regional newspapers, print newspapers, stronger than we expected. Mm-hmm. So there's still, there's still a story there going yep. on in regional newspapers. So what are the kinds of content that would work? Um, well, like we say, video content, particularly for news, is always a winner. 
Um, I think in government communication, you would you would have to stand by that. And again, that gives you, as you were touching on, that gives you the advantage of content that's suitable for Facebook and YouTube. Um, so I think that's absolutely right. Uh, frequency, of course, very, very important. Um, but I think it's at the strategic level. I say a lot of my research work outside the digital news report at the moment is looking at new directions for health communication and health interaction. Um, and there's clear evidence that, uh, say, health department-style communication, often very successful around the world, you know, major, major communication campaigns which have been done successfully with fairly traditional top-down messaging done you These know. are the preventative yes, absolutely. Health yeah. messages. Yeah, the, cancer, the diabetes, drink driving, smoking, drink driving. Okay, yep. transmitted infection. Yep. Um, the issue with them in some cases, and this is open for debate, hence why I'm researching it, is that people are getting the messages and they just don't care. Um, so, for example, if we look at uh, sexually transmitted infection, uh, and let's pick something that's had very clear messaging over the last 20 years, HIV AIDS. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows you know, the safe sex messages around HIV AIDS, they just don't follow them. Um, and that's, I've done a lot of work in for development communication in some uh, developing context. People know that they're supposed to use a condom. People know that it's supposed to be, you know, fidelity to one partner, et cetera, et cetera. They just don't follow it. So if you're looking at how to change behavior over a lifetime, and it's the same for HIV AIDS as it is for, say, obesity epidemics, where that's can be a lifetime's worth of medication, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to package up your communication into regular, frequent, engaging chunks and for health communication, delivered over a lifetime. Mm. And I would almost use that as an extreme model, but you know, my best advice to any government communicator, this is about frequency, um, regularity, quality, and being absolutely specific about your niches, your targets, your audiences, however you describe them in your uh in your world but yeah absolutely and you know as well as i do and i think probably many of the people listening know we all start off these things with a new social media campaign or a new multi-platform campaign full of beans full of enthusiasm lots of content uh, but we just don't plan ahead far enough and we start you know running out of content mm -hmm. the frequency of updates loads um shares decreases and then suddenly we're not interacting anymore but this is the gift of content marketing absolutely you know yeah. th this yeah. notion of you are now in the publishing business you are now in the the broadcasting business you know the factors of media production and distribution have now been democratized they've now been placed in front of you and so you now have to take on that discipline. So Very there, much so. There, yeah. is, there is no excuse really for you not to do it and these are the skills that people need to no, apply. I completely agree and I think the emphasis on having it as a core part of strategy is essential because yep. it avoids that drop-off and I think as some of your other um, guests have said, you know, you've got to have that CEO sign-off. Yeah. You, you've got to have not only that firm agreement and support, but also direction from the very top. Yeah, um, it does take time. There's no question it does take time to build that trust mm. in the audience. And again, an another point that I would probably make around, you know, the frequency point is do what you can do. You know, often, as you say, people come out of the gates and they're going like mad things for two weeks and then they run out of puff. Yep, sure. Be strategic. Think about it. What can you cope with? What can you reasonably 
produce and deliver over a 12, 18-month, 24-month period Mm. and stick to that Mm. because if you can train the audience to think, okay, well, I'm going to hear from XYZ agency once a fortnight or once a month because that's what they can deal with within the funding envelope or the capability envelope that they've got, well, better to do that than to sort of create expectations that you're never going to get anywhere near. Absolutely. And you're quite right. I mean, frequency certainly does not mean five times a day. You know, if you've got the right, if you've targeted the right audience or the right segment, once a month could be appropriate. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. That is so important that people understand that consistency is not negotiable and frequency is what you can do. Mm. You really have to think very clearly about that. So what other insights might we be able to just draw out of the, uh, the research report that you did that are going to help people in their, in their planning and in their execution of their, their government sure. communication yeah. programs? We could get a little bit more, slightly more technical. Um, there's evidence from a number of the countries that uh, news delivered via apps has some moderate popularity, very, very big in UK because, the, again, the BBC superb online app, but actually people like mobile browsers. That's how they like to get their information. I personally think there's a lot of logic to that. Yep. Um, yeah, you've got to have a really compelling story, don't you, to really yeah. have someone to to put the app on their phone and then to deliver. And then at, what? And then what? You know, well, the apps on the it. phone. Yeah. Um, and so some uh, some people would disagree with me on this. Quite rightly, they say, well, if you look at the stats, uh, you know, number of apps on phone, fantastic, building all the time. And it's like, yeah, okay, they've downloaded the app. They've mm. used it mm. once, mm. maybe. We don't really know that they're using it. Now we'd get better data directly off some of the organisations. But, yeah, and I think... Uh, Big investment, though. Oh, yeah. Big investment yeah. To, to make it really spin, to make it really work. And you've got to have a, you know, Bureau of Meteorology, classic, fantastic, plugged in, mm. you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the story continues yeah. to change. Yeah. But, you know, not everybody's the Bureau of Meteorology. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Um, and I think as the mobile platforms diversify, Android doing very, very nicely. Thank you now. Will the Windows media platform take off? Probably enough that you really have to think about it in your strategy. Then you've got three, minimum three apps platforms that you've got to maintain. It's like, ouch. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I I certainly think for, uh, unless you have the resources of the Bureau of Meteorology, as you quite rightly point out, yeah, there's there's probably a mobile browser story um, rather rather than the app story. So, so you're optimistic then for government communication that really this evolving environment, which again has put everyone into the publishing business, is really a great opportunity for them to to be able to tell that story, to be able to communicate with citizens. Uh, yes, I do. Um, as long as there's a genuine commitment to communicate, how, how could this be bad news? I think it's fantastic news. Mm. I think if there's and let's face it, uh, you know, many in government communications and all other forms of professional communication, they're stories we don't want to tell. Um, that's probably a different discussion. But uh, I think that if the strategy is firm, and you've, you talk about this very, very um, well, so I don't need to talk more about it, but I think if the strategy is firm, if you know what you're doing and you've got your audiences properly and clearly segmented and identified, I, I think that, uh, this is just good news all round. Really. Mm. Probably harder work straight up, of course, but once it's rolling, 
how how could this not be good news for government communication? Yep. All right, Jerry. Well, thank you very much for for coming in and sharing your insights and results from the uh, from the research this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I will hold you to that. That in okay. twelve months' time, we'll get you back and and we'll go through it. We actually might e- even have a look at some of the specific things that we thought were going to to change. I tend to think that the speed of change is going to be something that we just can't get our heads around. I think the behaviour change that's going to happen in in citizens is mm-hmm. going to be so rapid and going to be so dramatic that this notion of agility and being, particularly for government communicators, being able to move quickly is going to be a real challenge because I think the the audience is going to continue to to move and adapt and whether or not government can be as agile as it needs to be um, to deliver that value, uh, I think that's going to be a real challenge for them. But exciting times. I think it's just, and and we're seeing it now in Mm -hmm. our daily business, you know, in in our daily engagement that people are now starting to see, ah, yeah, right. We can actually get into this content business. And as I keep um, counselling them on a daily basis that just do what you can do, get started, don't wait for it to be perfect, but just start to get it up test and learn, and you will start to build over time that trust in the audience with the citizens so that they can get that real value from no, it. No, absolutely. So, yeah, I would agree. Get get in the game. You've got to start. Yeah. You've if you're not start. in the game, that would be the most worrying thing. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. And Boy, thanks very much for being in transition. And thanks to you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you may be in this big wide world of ours. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you again next week as we get further and further into this, uh, the In Transition podcast. Thanks again for the growth in the audience. We're seeing great growth again this month. Really exciting. The numbers that we're seeing all over the world as well. A um, couple of things. Next week, I am actually going to be in Washington in early September. So I'm really looking forward to hopefully meeting a few of you in Washington. I'll get some details out there about where we might be able to catch up. And any suggestions that you might have of people who I can speak to when I'm in Washington, Washington, that would be great. I'm also on my way to Content Marketing World in Cleveland, Ohio. And if I could, uh, just encourage as many of you as possible to get to Content Marketing World. It is a place of great learning. I travel halfway around the world every year to get there and I learn so much. So Content Marketing World, jump online and have a look. I would strongly encourage you to get there, particularly for those of you who are in North America. It's not far for you to travel. Uh, Even those of you who are in Europe, um, Western Europe, there's a really easy way to just jump over there and get to the conference. We could catch up there and, and do some more conversation and have some more fun talking about content marketing and government. Oh, sorry. And one more thing before I go. For those of you who are in Washington, D.C., we are going to have a catch up this Thursday night the Roof Bar at the Western Hotel. So that's 6pm at the Roof Bar at the Western Hotel. And if you can make it, please ping me on Twitter. It's at David Pembroke. So look forward to seeing anyone who is able to get there so we can talk about content marketing in government. Thanks again, everyone. See you there. And for those of you in Washington, just one more reminder, at the Roof Bar at the Western Hotel, 6pm this coming Thursday. Thanks once again. I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, Jerry Watkins, for joining us. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au.